In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about living in a world where cancer is quote unquote normal. This is the case for my guest today. She heard the words, it's cancer, three times for different types of cancer. So how do you learn to live joyfully when you discover that cancer isn't a detour, but rather part of the main path? How do you learn to not spend your days waiting for hard things to just be over? My guest today has learned a lot of lessons in the many years since she first was diagnosed. Many universal truths, I would say. My guest today is Dorothy Paredes. Dorothy was first diagnosed at 26 with stage 1 triple negative breast cancer. Ten years later, she was then also diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 36 and again at 38. Dorothy carries the BRCA1 genetic mutation. She is the author of a memoir called 26 and Fucked and the founder of the Atrium Foundation, a 501c3 that helps pay bills for cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. Welcome to The Burn, Dorothy. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Dorothy, you're reading a piece that you wrote called Life With You in three parts. This was a piece that we published in our Five Years and Counting Wildfire Magazine issue. And after you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Dorothy, I'll let you take it away. All right. Thank you so much again, April. Um, Really an honor to be here. So yes, I am reading my Life With You in three parts. I may not think of you every day. I may not feel the weight of your presence as I move through the weeks, yet you are always with me. Sitting quietly, patiently waiting until I am reminded of you. My senses are heightened, only I know because of the quiver within, as the time grows nearer to scan for signs of your calling. My anxiety trickles slowly at first, then a calm lightning storm before a heavy summer rain pours, interrupting my routine. You, my cancer, are always with me. My reminder of life's fragility, a reminder to live moments to cherish. It's been 17 years since we became one. We have moved through this life together since. You have brought me pain I could never have imagined and a joy unexplainable. When my life was introduced to you, it took a turn, a literal point of no return to life before. All my plans tossed to land jumbled, mixed up and teetering on a precipice. I stumbled, fell even, from the aftermath of you. I was torn in pieces, sliced open and left with a hole in my heart because of you. 
Yet I got up and walked forward as I would any other day. The strain on my body and where in my mind reinforced who I am. Because of you, my cancer, I have endured, persevered, and know myself in more ways than I normal life could have taught. Life after you shines with hope and love for tomorrow. I was 26 when I heard my first you have cancer words and was given my breast cancer diagnosis. I've heard them two more times since when I was 36 and 38. This time it was ovarian cancer. At 26 is when I also learned of my BRCA gene, which meant life with cancer. Things like that stop everything. It stills your breath and perhaps a little piece of your soul. Now at 44, cancer is normal. It's familiar. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a hard, unwelcome word. It is harsh, painful, and depressing at times, even to this day. It has taken time, years, years for me to accept that cancer is part of what I am now, part of who I am, and to heal from the decisions and choices that I made because of it. There are still struggles, though. Survivorship is a healing process, one that takes absolutely as long as it needs. Each stage is different, as different as we are at various stages in life, and each one of us has our own process to live, none better or worse, good or bad, than another. And yet, how difficult it allowed me to see how much unyielding love there is all around us. Not only the love from others, but the love I have for myself. It has rewarded me a new perspective, a new community, and a different appreciation for life. I've learned to let myself go through the motions of healing, to know that it's more than needed to ask for help, and most importantly, to not be pushed into making rash decisions that go against personal principles and values. Cancer adds aspects to our reality that others, even those in the medical field, cannot truly understand as they haven't lived the experience of it. So throughout my life with cancer, the most important pieces of knowledge I acquired are, it's totally okay to not be okay. After treatment was over, my acceptance and healing from cancer started. I have trauma, my family has trauma, my husband has trauma. It takes years to overcome and or learn how to manage it. Second, don't not ask questions. Ask, ask again, and do a lot of talking to your partner, family, friends, medical care team, therapist, to anyone you feel comfortable, talk away. Third, accept the camaraderie, I have a hard time saying that word, (laughs) of the cancer community. It is real and it is valuable. It will sustain you in times of hardship, bring you hope, faith, connection, and lasting friendships. Allow yourself to feel what you are feeling, especially anger, sadness, and loss. It is natural. It is life. Yes, we are grateful to be alive, to have survived, but that doesn't mean we can't be afflicted by the crazy, probably fucked up, life-changing experience cancer put us through. Do not wait to acknowledge grief. Bottling up resentment can lead to depression and fear, which followed me over the years and caused more pain than necessary. Seek out information. 
gain a well-rounded perspective so that you can reflect and make decisions that are best for you. Do things simple that bring you joy. Find your place of peace and go to it often. Mine were chapels, atriums, and botanical gardens. All provide space to center, breathe, and be in a quiet that is warm and welcoming. Always be your own advocate and laugh. Last, most important piece of knowledge is laugh and laugh some more. Life with cancer is a life of battles, but it's also a life filled with new insights and new growth. It's an S-curve of life. Cancer is a disruption. At every check-in or scan, with every smell or taste or piece of clothing that reminds you. Yet, it is a disruption that represents a beginning, rapid growth, and maturity. Life with cancer gave me a voice that I use to let others know that they are not alone in their fight. Long-term survivorship with life with cancer is a journey that is forged in fire and ends with a bond like no other. Indeed. Oh, thank you for that powerful story, Dorothy. Thanks for reading to us today. Yes. Thank you so much for allowing me to do so. It, it, it is really helpful. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I can't wait to dig in and get even more uh, up close and personal with you, but we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll chat. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. I'm Gretchen Stelter. I was diagnosed with stage two triple positive breast cancer when I was 39. Um, I love Wildfire Magazine because it connects me with other people's stories who are going through similar things to what I'm going through and also different to what I'm going through, but um, on, on a similar path and, and making a similar journey. And just as much as I love the magazine, I love the newsletters. They pop up at times when I'm not expecting, I guess, is part of what I love about them. And, and so throughout the week, sometimes when I don't even realize that I'm struggling, I open up one of Wildfire's newsletters and I read April's words and they make me smile and they make me think and they remind me that there is a very strong community out there supporting me and uh, just welcoming me. And I love that. 
Thanks so much for the love, Gretchen. All right. Welcome back, Dorothy. Thank you again for your powerful piece and for getting retrospective with us. I think it really matters to hear stories from people who've been diagnosed, you know, one year ago, of course, two years ago. But when we get the pleasure to talk to someone who's been diagnosed 10 years ago, it really, then we start to really get into those life lessons. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, of course, of course. So I want to go ahead and just dive right in, if we may. You you really reached for those lessons, like I said. And one thing that really piqued my um, curiosity to know more was you said, you have brought me pain I could never have imagined and a joy unexplainable. Well, I'm going to ask you to explain it. <laughs> Can you dig in a little bit more about the joy part? Where where have you found the joy and how has that come as a result of, of what you've experienced? Yeah, that is, um, that's an amazing question, to be honest. Um, when I was really thinking about that and when I reflect a lot on um, the experience, and sorry if I'm already <laughs> kind of tearing up, you know, reading the story sometimes um, brings back the emotions. But um, the joy unexplainable, I think, is really centered around some of those those key pieces of um, the S-curve of life, you know, that S-curve of learning, right? Because while we are going through this very difficult time and in the short term, we're very focused on moving through cancer survivorship. Um, and it's hard, right? Um, treatments, uh, decisions we have to make, uh, fertility issues we may wrestle, wrestle with, um, amputations, you know, um, the, the strain on family life and personal life. All those things are really hard. But the joy that I found coming out of it, and, and to be honest, it wasn't an immediate joy. I mean, you know, like I was saying, this is a process and it does take time. But the joy that that came out of it for me is really twofold. Um, one, I think it catapulted um, my, my uh, connection with my partner. Um, you know, I think these are moments where... Um, your bond with your partner um, is really challenged. You know, your bond with your family, your bond with your partner, anybody that's really close to you in your life, it's really challenged. And um, I had a fear um, when I was diagnosed at 26 that I would not have a partner who would understand um, my life with cancer. Um, I had a fear that I would have a partner who would, who would leave. Um, and I, I was ready to understand that and accept that, you know, um, I had a lot of fear around being able to have a close relationship with somebody and it was truly unexpected, um, and unexplainable that, um, we were able to connect and, and grow our bond in a, in a different way than I could have imagined really. Um, I think it's a bond that most people who are in their, you know, 20, 15, 20, you know, like really long-term stages of, of, a, of a marriage or a long-term partnership finally get to. And we were like catapulted into that in our first year of marriage, you know. So um, that's one thing that I, I think really, um, yeah, that's one, that's one piece of joy that, that cancer really gave me. 
The other joy was in in finding the community that we have, um, finding the community, and then also kind of finding my golden nugget with the Atrium Foundation because I never realized how strong of a community the cancer community is. Um, how many people are there to really help support you and and help you move through things, and and how um, you know I've heard a lot of people say it's it's not a community that. <laughs> any of us are looking to be welcomed into, but there, there has been so, there's been so much, um, there's just been so much learning and growth and love and support from, from the community that I also would not have imagined. And, and being able to really get into that and dig into that, um, it gave me a lot of joy because I think it helped me see where I could have a foundation. I could help other people. I could write my book. I, I could use this experience to do things in life that, um, I, you know, I had never, I never really thought about doing before. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So those are, those are kind of the, the main areas I think. Yep. Yeah. I, I appreciate all of that. And I, I kind of want to circle back a little bit to something you just said about, you know, your relationship and how you would reach this place of acceptance if if he decided to walk away. He or she, yeah. I'm sorry to make an <laughs> assumption there. Um, can can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, you know, I I just am wondering what that maybe took to reach that acceptance and what made you think that, that that might happen? Was that just watching that happen to other people or, or a feeling of like, he doesn't deserve, you know, to go through this? Um, I think it's, it was a, it was a couple of things. Um, it was feeling like somebody didn't deserve to go through it. You know, um, I think because I had such a hard, hard struggle with my diagnosis, um, I didn't think that it would be fair for me to ask somebody else to uh, totally just put everything aside and accept it, you know, like, um, so I, I, it was that, um, another big piece of it was around, uh, family, right? Um, you go through chemotherapy, um, they tell you they're not sure you will be able to maintain your fertility or not. A lot of us, um, goes through fertility preservation. Even if that happens, it's not a guarantee that your body will take, you know, will take any form of IVF. So I really started thinking about it from that aspect too. What is, you know, going into that? And even with them knowing that that's a possibility, when it really comes down to, you know, the time to get pregnant or have a family, and if I couldn't do it, um, would that be fair for me to expect that person to stay in a relationship with me, possibly become resentful or feel like they didn't get to accomplish something huge and, and monumental in their life? So uh, it came down really to those two things. Um, later in my survivorship, I, I have met people whose partners did leave because they mm-hmm. just couldn't take um, life with cancer. Um, and and so that started coming into effect as I really started opening myself up to the cancer community. Um, but those were the main two things I think was just, would it be fair? And then, you know, being able to have a family. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've been in in your position of finding searching for and finding acceptance for for letting something go that you know I I have also faced that feeling of like this isn't fair for you to have to go through this too. Right. Um and what a what a joy that you got to experience like you said seeing the other side of that coin and and getting something that you didn't maybe allow yourself to expect because that would have been really heartbreaking, you know, if if the other had come to bear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the, that's a perfect way to say it is um, allowing ourselves uh, to take that chance and kind of be vulnerable with that, right? Um, I think I put myself through a lot of pain and I put people before my husband through a lot of pain because I hadn't really come to the point. I mean, like I, I, I had the thoughts and I think in my mind, I told myself I had expected something like that, but I didn't allow the other people to, to make that choice, right? I didn't allow other, I didn't allow myself to really be open to those things. So I think, you know, when I talk about, um, kind of letting go of the resentment, you know, um, allowing yourself to feel the grief, that was part of my lessons and understanding that I, I was, I did not process things you know, um, I, di- I just didn't. I thought I had, but I really didn't. And in the long run, I think I did end up hurting other people unnecessarily because of my own fear, because of not allowing myself to accept, you know, um, accept things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like what you just said about thinking you had processed and then realizing later that you haven't or hadn't at the time. I I think that's uh, one of those universal things that people are like, okay, check, check, check. Like, good. I got the lesson. I'm done. I'm fine. You know, moving on. (laughs) Then it just comes rearing its head back up again. Um, So, you know, Turning back to your list of lessons learned, I wonder if there's one on that list that was maybe the most surprising to you or maybe the hardest to learn. Yeah. Um, you know, when you when you know when when you asked me this when I was doing the my reading, um one of the ones that really did stand out for me was um processing the grief and not bottling up the resentment, you know. And and then when I really started thinking about this a little bit more, I think one of the ones that were really hard for me, and then, you know, kind of segueing back to your initial question on on the joy, unexplainable, is, is laughing, you know, laughing more um, and, and really just understanding that all of this, all of, all of this, all of cancer, life with cancer, is a constant process. It is it is a life filled with small battles, but it's also a life filled with a lot of great, amazing wins. And even if that is something that we think is small, like oh, our scan came back, you know, good. Our scan came back with with um, no issues, or my blood markers are low, or you know, whatever it is. Um, that is, I think, really what was the hardest thing for me to to, to learn. And, and it's still hard for me to learn is, is laughing, laughing some more, 
understanding that this is an S-curve, um, being open to the disruption, but also moving into that the growth in, in maturity. It's still it's still very difficult. Um, and my husband and I still still talk about it today, you know, even even um, a couple of days ago, we've we've really started bringing back up the discussion of of kids. And I can't have kids. I had to have a full hysterectomy um, when I was 36 with my initial ovarian cancer diagnosis. And I think that is something that we just put out of mind. Um, we didn't really think about it. We just kind of thought, okay, well, we can't do things naturally. Let's move on. And and understanding, I mean. We did talk about adoption and other things, but we really just weren't there yet. And it's starting to come back around again. You know, we're starting to come to a point in time where we're, we're trying to understand this, um, trying to understand what we want in life. And it, it's a new type of, um, it's a new type of learning. Um, it's a new type of S-curve um, now moving into this new stage you know, 10 years into our marriage, several years out, I'm 44 years old, you know, um, all, all of that stuff. So uh, it, it's it's just learning to move, to move with it. Um, laugh mm-hmm. when you can, um, move with it, understand the process. I think th- that's really the hardest. That's really the hardest, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just noticing another layer to to finding joy again, which is this idea that you're not done evolving yet, you know, and I love that you guys are finding yourselves having this conversation that maybe you thought was, you know, totally on the shelf and yet here it is again. Um, yeah. yeah. That's really hopeful, I think. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a ton of time left, but I wanted to get to your memoir. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's um, about? And maybe if you have any tips for anyone else who might be thinking about writing and publishing a memoir themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so 26 in fact is about my experience with breast cancer. And if you look it up, um, Google Google by my name. Um, you can do you can do the title, but you have to be like specific with the way that I spelled it. Otherwise, you you know questionable results may come up. So I didn't. So tip number one: um, whatever book title you're thinking of, be sure to go through and type it in. Um, you know, book searches like type it in Amazon, type it in Barnes and Nobles just Google it, you know, that kind of thing. So that way you can understand what kind of search results will be coming up when other people are looking for it. So that's that's a big tip. I didn't do that before. Um, but uh, yeah, so so my book is all about um, what, what I kind of call the real uh, side effects of, of cancer, right? It's, it's the effects of cancer that um, I didn't re- didn't have anybody talking about at the time. I think we're all talking about it more now, which is an amazing and also um, a joy that there are so many people that that are really talking about those real effects of cancer now. Um, in 2006, it was a lot of like, you know, chemo. You're gonna feel sick. You're gonna take this much time, right? But they but nobody was talking about all of these crazy life decisions that come up. Um, mastectomies, fertility preservation, um, 
Are you going to have chemo brain the rest of your life? Are you going to have neuropathy the rest of your life? Um, depression, anger, resentment, grief, like people weren't talking about that, you know? Um, and so that was a big thing for me in writing the book is I wanted to really uh, give my story on all of those life-changing decisions that I had to make um, to help people understand that whether it's the same life-changing decisions that I made that you made, it's really just more to help people know and not feel like they're the only one struggling with the life effects of cancer, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So it gets deep. Um, I, I, I kind of put everything out there. Um, I talk about some controversial topics, um, but that's the point, right? The point is to let people know that it's not all perfect. We don't walk away at the end of the day with having everything solved. It takes time. It takes process. Um, so yeah, that's, that's 26 in fact. Um, but some other tips on writing a memoir, um, or writing a book in general is, um, definitely, definitely be ready to go through a lot of revisions, right? Get, get your ideas down, start writing, um, write as you would talk, write as you would telling the story, but know that at the end of the day, a lot of it's going to get cut out. A lot of it's going to get cut down and you're going to go through several revisions because really what I found is I had a lot to say when I started writing. I had a ton to say. And then um, when I found a writing coach, so tip number three, um, go out and search if there's any in your state. Uh, when I was in Texas, there's like, I think there's like the Texas... Um, the Texas Writers League or something like that, right? So every state may have some um, writers associations. So I would go to a writers association and a lot of them have a directory of authors or writing coaches or editors that are open to working with people. Um, find yourself a writing coach. Um, and if you, if you can't afford a writing coach, n negotiate with them. Sometimes they'll do it for, um, you know, for... Uh, for rights, like if they, if you, if you want to put their name as the editor on the book when you publish or promotions or whatever. Um, so talk to them and see, see what they'll be able to provide. Um, otherwise, definitely get a buddy who loves to read and who may have some writing experience because you need somebody else to read it. You need somebody else to read it and, and mark things out for you make questions for you. What does this mean? How does this tie into the story? So getting a writing coach or an editor is, is super beneficial because they will help you put the structure of, of the story together and help you focus. Um, so, so I think those are really the top, the top things. Um, aside from that, you will have to manage yourself like a, like a project manager. You, you'll need to set dates for yourself, timelines for yourself. Otherwise, the project can go on for years. It took me six years to write 26 in fact. Um, and I did have deadlines, but fortunately, my writing coach always checked in with me and, hey, are we, are we making progress? Making progress, right? So definitely do that. And then I think lastly, really take some time to think about if you want to self-publish versus finding an agent. Finding an agent and going through a publishing house um, 
that's that's a whole endeavor of itself. Uh, I would try to find, um, again, some writing communi- communities in your city or state that may be providing free classes or free info sessions. I know um, Poets and Writers, it's a big publication. They put a lot of things in there um, about, you know, self-publishing. You can sign up for their um, their newsletter and they have free classes. Uh, but otherwise, definitely take some time to look into that. Self-publishing is a good way to go, but you just have to be ready to put some extra time into following formatting requirements. So definitely be ready for that because that is time consuming in and of itself. Um, and be ready to market. I, I would say define a marketing plan up front and center, whether that be your own Instagram page, your own Facebook page, whatever. Um, don't set that aside. That is uber important to get out there. Start talking to bookstores and um, other places you could do like book launches and just start getting the word out about your book as soon as as soon as you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many nuggets there. What a goldmine. Thank you for all yeah. of that. That was awesome. Uh, yeah. Of course. Um, well, I want to squeeze in one more question because you just have sure. so much um, life experience and, you know, et cetera, business experience. So I want to bring it around to the Atrium Foundation um, for a moment. So the Atrium Foundation is a 501c3 that helps pay bills for cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. And I want to ask you a question I don't know if you've had before, but I wonder if you could tell us about the naming of your business, because I think names matter, words matter. Um, I've shared the story of where Wildfire came from, but I'd love to hear where Atrium Foundation came from. Yeah. Yeah. So this was one of those, um, this, it happened at a very pivotal point in time. Um, I had just, I had gone through my surgeries for uh, my ovarian cancer diagnosis. Um, and it was, it was a hard surgery, uh, cause the ovarian cancer had, had spread up into my abdomen. So it wasn't just a hysterectomy. And I don't, not trying to make that sound light by any means because hysterectomies um, is a hard surgery in and of itself. But I also had some parts of my abdomen um, removed. Um, so I was in a lot of pain. I was depressed about not being able to choose to lose my fertility or not. Um, it was something that had to be done. Um, I was tired of surgeries. Um, I was tired of having things removed from my body. Um, and I was just at a really, really low time, extremely low time. And I was, um, sorry, holding back, holding my tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, um, laying in the hospital bed and I was several days in to my hospital stay after my surgery and I wasn't eating because all the hospital food sucks. So anybody who's listening, if you have an upcoming surgery, um, be sure to line up nutritional food that you like, whether that be smoothies or whatever. Like, don't feel like you have to rely on the hospital food there. So I wasn't eating because the food sucked. I don't like Jello. Um, you know, like, I didn't want anything they were giving me. I was in pain. Hospital rooms are drab, right? So just, this, like, I just felt like the world was just not there anymore, you know? And, um, I told my husband, I literally said, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it out of this. Um, and that's how I felt. I, I, I really was just 
kind of done, you know? And um, he didn't, he didn't like say anything monumental, you know, he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't really, he didn't really do anything, right? But what he did do was he said, hang on, you know, we're not, hang on, I'll be right back. So he walked out of the room, he found a wheelchair, he got me out of bed, and he took me down to uh, the hospital's atrium. And I was able to have some sun and see plants and flowers and, you know, get some fresh air. And that really, it, it put life in me again, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's when I said, um, okay, we can do this, right? So fast forward a couple of months and really thinking about what I wanted to do to be able to give back to the community and um, where where I saw the gap um, that we have in our community, which is people still just being able to pay their everyday bills, right? Um, groceries and gas and your utility payments. Um, I was talking to my husband. I said, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. I want to help people in this way. And I want to call it the Atrium Foundation because because of that story and how much that gave me hope and, and put life back into me, I thought helping people in this way could, could do the same thing. And so, yeah, that's where the name came from. Mm, I love that story. I'm I'm really moved. Um, thank you, Dorothy. That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, I know that we could spend a whole nother hour talking to each other, um, but we better close it here. But I do want people to find you, learn more about you, follow the Atrium Foundation. So can you let us know where people can find you? Yes, yes. Um, so Atrium Foundation is on Instagram. It's just at Atrium underscore foundation. Um, that's where we're mostly you know, have our, our biggest presence. Oh, we are on LinkedIn too. So if anybody's on LinkedIn, it's the same, uh, just atrium underscore foundation. And um, you can find me uh, personally on Instagram at Blue Cove Insights, all one word. And uh, reach out anytime. Um, my email and, and contact information is on the atrium uh, website, uh, atriumfoundation.org. Um, I have my... my um, email there, direct contact there, phone number there. So people can reach out anytime or, you know, on Instagram or Facebook, definitely love to connect there and chat with people there as well. Perfect. Well, we'll be sure to list um, and link to everything that you just said in our show notes. Well, Dorothy, thank you so much. So today's writer and guest was Dorothy Paredes. Her piece was called Life With You in three parts. And you can find that in the 2023 issue of Wildfire called Five Years and Counting. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our rich 40-issue wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. 
Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn to listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is your writing prompt. I want you to think about the lessons that you have learned from cancer. Today's story was all about lessons learned. So I want you to write the prompt from cancer I have learned and set your timer, write for eight minutes on what you believe you've learned. And then I want you to set your timer again and go back for each lesson and write the scenes that show you learning these lessons. What did it look like? How did you feel? Eight minutes on each of those, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you want more writing prompts, head to wildfirecommunity.org slash free to get the downloads that I've created just for you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.